Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we're working our way through what we believe, as stated in our Mennonite Brethren Confession of Faith, we come to the area of salvation. We just heard one of the, the most comprehensive scriptures talking about being saved. And I remind you that Jesus' purpose when he came to earth with his disciples was to progressively reveal himself and his nature and the truth of God to them. He would give them little bits at a time. He would feed them understanding and He would stretch them a little bit more through the three years, three and a half years that he was with them. You see, these men came from many different walks of life. They were not schooled in the scripture as others were. They were not familiar with the teachings that others would have had. But Nicodemus was a different type of person. It's a different story because he was very well schooled. In fact, the scripture says that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. And as such, he would have understood a great deal about both spiritual and biblical things. When he's talking with them, he gets right to the heart of the issue. He didn't have to build up to it. He didn't have to explain a lot of things along the way. But he goes right to the issue that he wants to talk to him about. And he says, he says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The word see in the Greek is the word ido, and it means to know or to understand. It doesn't mean just to physically see it with your eyes. It means that you cannot understand the concept of the kingdom of God unless you have been born of the spirit of God. Now, our statement in the uh, Confession of Faith says, Salvation lies at the core of the Christian experience. The gospel calls people to salvation from slavery to sin into the freedom that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to be quoting a few more things from the Confession of Faith because we want you to be very familiar with what it says. So I guess the, the first questions that people would ask would be, well, why, why are we slaves to sin? How did this happen, and what exactly is sin? And those would be good questions. Now, fortunately, Article 4 in our confession gives us this definition, because in order to understand salvation, we also need to understand the nature and the scope of sin itself. And it says this, that sin is any act, thought, desire, emotion, word, or deed, or the absence of these that displeases God. Now, over the years, I grew up in a very strict religious upbringing that had their own definition of sin. Whether it agreed with the word of God or not, that's what we were taught, and that's what we were meant to adhere to. 
But in its basic form, here it is encapsulated what we understand sin to be. Is it any, any act, any thought, any desire, any emotion, word, or deed, or the absence of it? Because Scripture says, to him who knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him this is sin. So it's something, sometimes what you do, and then sometimes something what you do not do. But it all comes down to if it pleases or displeases God. Scripture does indeed bear this out, because the very first sin in Scripture records that mankind committed way back in the Garden of Eden, where after being told by God not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which bore the penalty of death, as recorded in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Satan openly defies the word of God by, by telling Eve in chapter 3, verse 4, says, no, you shall not surely die. And then faced with the choice of obedience to God or eating the fruit that was appealing to the eye, Eve and then Adam made the wrong choice. That wrong choice greatly displeased God. That wrong choice was called sin. Over the years, I've spoken to many people, obviously, and one of the questions that's come up is, did God create evil? Where did it come from? Well, you see, inherent in God giving us free will is the capacity for the wrong choice to be made. That wrong choice is sin. So God did not create evil, but he did create the capacity for it to exist. But that in itself is because of our choosing the wrong choice. And we continue to make wrong choices every day. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, plainly tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the concept that they are trying to get across to us in, in that scripture is a picture, and I've been taught this since I was a young boy, that it's a picture of an, of an archer who was aiming at a target, and the arrow falls short. That target is the glory of God, and we as human beings could never get there. We fall short every day in every way. And Romans 6.23 continues with this thought and says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, the wages or the penalty of sin is not changed. It is still death. God said back in the garden, In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that has not changed. It has been the same ever since this world was created. The prophet Ezekiel spelled it out this way in chapter 18, verse 20. He says, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So, this is leading up to the fact that, it's already been mentioned today, we will all stand before God. So, now understand this. 
Because we have all sinned, we all deserve to die. Now, how many would agree that that is actually what the law of God says? How many would agree there? Okay. Because I'd hate to have to go back over this all again. Just want to make sure you're all with me. Okay, I don't want to make any assumptions here in what we say. We want to base it on the fact that the Word of God says it. Not that I say it, or someone else standing up here says it, but that it is, in fact, the Word of God. Now, plainly stated, because mankind has sinned, then mankind must die. See, that's the law of God. God is holy, God is just, and his decrees are always right. And it sounds pretty hopeless. In fact, it is. Because the disciples asked Jesus the question in Matthew 19, who then can be saved? Says Jesus looked at them and said, with men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So here we have an impossible situation. Man can do nothing about, but God then must. So God steps in. Here again, what our confession of faith has to say about this. It says, through the prophets, God prepared the way of salvation until finally God reconciled the world to himself by the atoning blood of Jesus. As people place their trust in Christ, they are saved by grace through faith, not of their own doing, but as a gift of God. God forgives them delivers them from sin's bondage, makes them new creatures in Christ, empowers them by the Holy Spirit, and seals them for eternal life. That's what our confession of faith states. This body of of beliefs that we have said, yes, we believe this is what Scripture is teaching. So, since the law firmly stated that because of sin... Somebody had to die. God's own perfect son, the sinless lamb of God, stepped up and said, Father, I will die. I will become a man so that a man can pay the penalty for man. For the sacrifice had to be in kind. I will take their sin on me, and we can offer it to each one who believes in me as their Lord and Savior as a free gift. Now, remember the last part of Romans 6.23? It says, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, here's the thing about salvation. You cannot buy it. There's no amount of money that you could pay that would grant you forgiveness of your sins. You cannot inherit it. Just because my parents were Christians does not automatically mean that I am. And we read in Ezekiel that God doesn't place the sins of the parent on the child or the sins of the child on the parent. We all stand before God individually as we are. We can never deserve it. Because if the truth be known, what we deserve is to die for our sins. So I've said this to, to different classes many, many times. 
if you start saying, I have my rights, be very careful. Because you have the right to die for your sins. You have the right to be separated from God for all of eternity in hell. You have the right to pay your own penalty. You can't receive, you can't buy it, you can't inherit it, you can't deserve it. Some people get all caught up in this where they think, well, I go to church every Sunday. An old friend of mine years ago used to say that going to church doesn't make you Christian any more than going into a garden shed makes you a hose. Going to church will not make you a Christian, but because you're a Christian, you go to church. They say, well, maybe if I do good deeds. Some people think that there's a, a, a divine scale up here that if all my good deeds outweigh all my bad deeds, that I'll get to heaven. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, so it's by grace you've been saved. And grace is God's undeserved activity. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by works. So that no one can boast. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. My friends, this is how salvation works. You can call it being saved. You can call it being born again. You can call it receiving new life in Christ. The simple truth is, that we receive this gift of God by faith in what Jesus did on the cross to wipe out the penalty of our sins. We believe that his death paid for our sins. And please, don't confuse your feelings with the facts. Our feelings will try to deceive us, and the enemy will try to use your feelings against you. But the truth of the word of God declares that if you confess your sins, God will forgive you and you will be saved. That is the basis of salvation. Now, in the school of life, what we're talking about today would be salvation 101. These are the very basics of what it means. And we could take a whole year of Sundays to further learn more of the details of what this looks like in our lives and how God gives us the power to live this life through his Holy Spirit. But it all starts here with this truth. With your faith and God's gift of his Son. And you know, salvation works In every dimension. It works in the past, it works in the present, and it works in the future. It works in the past to deliver you from the penalty of your sins. It works in the present to to deliver you from the power of sin. And it works in the future 
to deliver us from the very presence of sin. So whether it's the past, present, or future, salvation works to set us free. You could ask, why does God do this? Why would he sacrifice his son for me? No, yesterday, we as a family and extended friends were able to celebrate the, uh, the first birthday of one of our grandchildren. Boy, he had a lot of fun. They started doing something now with grandchildren that we never did when I was a child. That's called a cake smash. How many know what that is? I'm assuming the rest of you don't. Cake smash smash means that uh, they make a little cake just for the baby. They set it on the high chair. They put a cloth out underneath the high chair to catch it all. And the kid starts to dive in. And our little grandson, Owen, he touched it with a grin on his face. He said, oh, I can touch this. And he touched it again. And then he went a little deeper. And then the cake started flying. And he got it all over his face. He had so much icing on his face and his chin, he looked like that character from the Monopoly game. Or Colonel Sanders. You know, and I got to tell you, if we were to sacrifice the life of that little child so that one of you could live... I would have to love you a lot. Because I know how much joy that little guy brings to my life, and same with my own children when they were born. See, God let me understand what it meant to love a child and give them as a sacrifice. You look down at a newborn baby and you feel such love and attachment to that little life that can do nothing to help itself. You just love it. And God loves you. His very nature is love. And everything he does is motivated out of love. And that's why perhaps the most recognized verse of Scripture in the whole Bible is, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, God looks down at a hopeless humanity and says, someone has to do something. And Jesus says, Father, I'll do it. We remember Jesus paying the penalty on the cross. And today in our family life, we see Jesus raised from the dead, glorified. You know what that means? It means he's alive today. He's seated on the right hand of the Father. He is praying for you and for me. And the blood that Jesus shed is still sufficient to take away the sins of the world. So what about it? Are you ready to trade your sins for his salvation? Are you ready to believe that when God said that if you confess, he will forgive, that he meant it? That's what salvation is all about. And that's God's great gift to you if you'll just receive it.
Do you accept that this morning? Dear Jesus, let every one of us this morning, in simple faith, acknowledge you as the sacrifice for our sins and as our Savior and Lord. We receive you in Jesus' name. listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.